I am unashamed. What about you? So welcome back to uh, Unashamed. We, um, we've been talking about this uh, mission uh, in Luke 9 and also Herod uh, kind of had an interlude in there with Herod. We talked about that on the last uh, podcast. You know, I thought it was interesting, Jay, as we talk about this difference in the physical kingdom and spiritual kingdom, because we still fight that today, which we, we've been talking about that. There's a parallel to what's going on here. It's, it's 2,000 years later, and yet political power is very similar to what it was in the first century or any century. Very you much know, so. it's the it's the same mindset that goes. You know, we we uh, yesterday there was a, a bill that our Louisiana legislature put through about protecting children um, because you know now I have these surgeries and you have minors you know that are making decisions about things that will affect them for the rest of their life in a very harmful way. And so you know, our legislature in Louisiana, which I'm super proud of, came up with a law that says we're not do that in this state. We're not going to butcher children and then have them regret that later into something that's irreversible. And uh, it was vetoed by our governor, but then the Louisiana legislature overrode the veto. So it was a big win for the idea that protecting children goes beyond political. I mean, it is a political thing because it was done by a political body, but it's like the mindset is we got to protect children. And I thought about that when I, I was 14 years old to 18, when I went off the rails and yet you as a parent and other people in my life were trying to tell me to do the right thing. I, can, I can't imagine me being allowed to do something that would have harmed me for the rest of my life that was unchangeable yep. because of decisions I was making at 14 and sad, 15 years sad, old. So sad. It is. Yeah. So I just the only reason I brought it up is because it illustrates perfectly what we're talking about, and that is that spiritual uh, needs – many times can go into the political arena and do the right thing. But do, do men and women have the courage to actually do it? That's the question. Cause yep. you know, Herod in this case, Jay, you were talking about all the doubts he's having. And ultimately he didn't have the courage to do the right thing. The right thing was to not kill John. <laughs> yeah. The story that, uh, that really has come, come to my mind. The point of the story is that doubts are not, a bad thing. You you remember that story in Mark nine where uh, the guy he had, his son was demon possessed and Jesus healed him and and he because he was like well if you can't he asked Jesus if you can do anything and it's a famous passage in Mark nine twenty three and because Jesus said everything is possible for him who believes and so then the man says I do believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. You're like, well, what's his point? He's believing, but he has doubts. And I think it's just natural, especially the way Jesus' kingdom is set up. Because you're like, if you just look at this as a competition, of a clash of kingdoms. Well, John the Baptist gets his head cut off, and the same king then ridicules Jesus and, and mocks him before Jesus died. And then somebody tells you at the end, well, hey, the guy who got crucified on the cross and the guy that got beheaded, they actually won. You're like, wait, what? Because you're, you're, it's going to be very hard for you to wrap your head around the fact that in this clash of kingdoms, Jesus, the guy on the cross, and the one who got decapitated, they're the victors. Well, you're going to have doubts about that in life. And I brought up that Psalm 73 in in the overtime, and that's really what that psalm is about. It's like it doesn't look like we're winning. Yeah. (laughs) It it just doesn't seem conceivable. But when you realize what God's plan was, that through weakness and humility, he was going to not only get your sins paid for, and have forgiveness available to everyone that by his resurrection through the power of the Holy Spirit, he would destroy death itself. And all these yeah. miracles we said were, were they pointed, they gave us pictures of what this new kingdom would be like, this new world, the possibility that when we start talking about a new heaven and a new earth where there's no pain and there's no mourning and 
there's no disease and there's no injustice or poverty. Well, that is that is victorious. If there's a way to live forever in that setting to fix all the world's problems, that's the ultimate victory. And this is the testimony, 1 John 5, 11. This is the testimony. Here's the bottom line. Here's how it all ends up. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's about living forever. It's about eternity. Yeah, which is another point. Look, all the kingdoms of the world, the worldly kingdoms, they become kingdoms through the killing and abuse of other people and then who are they, a threat. And, and then they collapse. And Je- Jesus was killed so that life could happen. That That's the difference. Yeah. And that's what we struggle with on day-to-day living when it seems like we're powerless and what can we do? There's not, how can we fight this? Well, when you start thinking that, that's a window of opportunity that God's power is going to provide. And it, it, it may result in you losing your life yep. for the king. But you know, well, this process can repeat itself because I will be back. This is the only thing I've ever read that gave me the opportunity to live forever. This is it. Exactly. Nothing so, else comes close. Jace, you brought up uh, in the overtime, you, you mentioned a verse, and we didn't read it. I wanted to read it uh, on this podcast because it's so poignant for what you're talking about and ultimately why you have to know and trust. And that was Second Corinthians 1, verse 3. It's one of my go-to verses for folks who are going through a really difficult time and, you know, saying to themselves, you know, why is this happening to me? Paul starts it out this way. He says, praise be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so you also share in our comfort. Which I should say is a powerful passage, no matter what happens to you. You can have confidence, and you're right. The doubts are not the worst thing. They give you hope to know that it's something bigger than well, yourself. Well, it makes and, you and, search. Yeah, it makes you you uh, realize the need for other people. We're the body of Christ. We're in this together. You know, when you stump your toe, we all hurt. And But you're basically following the plan that Jesus set out. And in this moment in Luke 9, he's just introducing this thought that we're going to go out there like sheep and be chewed up by the wolves. But in that, we realize that God's power works in that. And ultimately, the greatest sign of that was what Jesus did on the cross. That was the path to victory. So when you think about the the war of kingdoms and all the strategies, and you just wouldn't think that would have been the way that God would conquer the world. Yeah, com- comfort's mentioned about eight times in five verses. I mean, but it, what's crazy is, is he's not saying you're going to be comfortable. It's like you find comfort in the sufferings. Yeah. You find perseverance in the struggle of putting yourself out there in these situations that may not go well. You're right, Jason. It's such an upside-down concept because most of the time we would think the only time I'm comforted in, in, and am comfortable is when nothing bad is happening to me and everything is perfect and I don't struggle in any way. That's what we would say is that we're the most comfortable. And Paul comes along and says, no, it's just the opposite. It's when you're dealing with stuff is when you should realize who God is and who Christ is and why, because you're having availability to now help somebody else because you've been there. That's why I've always thought that people that sometimes have the biggest messes in their lives, but then realize and come to Christ wind up being some of the greatest ambassadors 
for the kingdom because they understand. They, they understand what it means to be cleansed peace from of, some peace, terrible. Peace of mind, Al, it, it gives one comfort. Peace of yeah. mind. That's comfort right. Comfort in that. And it's really the— They start cursing you. I just grin because I'm thinking, yeah. well, go ahead and let it on out, whatever you think. But <laughs> you got a better story? That's right. And this really, this in Luke 9 that we did on the last podcast, really sets up the next thought. And, uh, yeah, I told you, I, I heard a couple of sermons uh, by Keller that I that I really think hits home with this idea of the kingdom that Jesus is introducing, being in total contrast with the kingdom of the world, which is basically elevate myself and justify myself and abuse people on the way to the top, whatever it takes. Yeah. It's it's me or them. And God has said, oh, no, you fall down on the sword. You kneel. You you surrender. And they may abuse you, and they, they uh, may persecute you, and they may kill you. But in the end, that's going to be my way of moving in and my power being expressed through forgiveness, redemption, resurrection, community forever a new heaven a new earth and the list goes on and on so he gets to the feeding of the five thousand which you think well what does that have to do with this war of the kingdoms but you got to look at this big picture mode and and when i read all the accounts and and i heard this sermon it it really clicked uh, a light bulb came on for me in this by the way jays it's it's the only miracle that's recorded in all four gospels. So, you know, it's a big deal. I'm, and I'm talking about the feeding of the 5,000. It's exactly. the only one mentioned in all four. Yeah. And I mentioned this last podcast, but let's just stop and time out before I read this. If you were going to try to impress people with a miracle, I mean, you wouldn't do what some people have called a picnic, you know, it, <laughs> Look, most people at that meal didn't even realize where the food was coming from. It, it wasn't the most grandiose miracle that you would come up with. You just took some what they had, which was inadequate, which I made the point that all Jesus's miracles pointed to his redemptive work and the way the world should be. It's everything that every politician has ever said he's going to cure. Injustice, poverty, health care. Jesus did it at the snap of his finger. You want a world that looks right, that's perfect? I got the power to do it. And that's why it was an upside-down kingdom. Because he's saying, I'm giving you a picture of the way the world was when it first was created. You had Adam and Eve in the garden, and guess what? Health care was fine. They had a tree over in the middle of, middle of the garden. There was no pain, suffering, you know, murder, and, and of course, we know it all went wrong, and that's why Jesus came to make it all right again. But So he's giving you a picture of what it was and what it can be. I mean, right. if you can do it here in a three-year village-by-village, city-by-city process, well, you can do it for the whole world. It's been so, here for 2,000 years, and it's still here. Exactly. That's a so, long time, so, so these miracles are pointing that. So if you have that in your mind— why would he do this miracle? And that's what I wanted you to really think about before we read it. What is the redemptive story that is being portrayed in, in breaking some bread and giving it to some people? And basically out of a happy meal. Let's uh let's take another let's take our first break. So dad, uh, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I was uh about fourteen, I think, and uh you had graciously allowed me and a couple of my buddies to uh, use your shotguns, uh, some Browning 16 gauges, as I recall, uh, that had been in our family for many years. And we went out and we were shooting some doves, I think, and who knows what else, probably some road signs uh, out that way. And it was raining and got muddy. And so I got some mud in the barrel, didn't realize it. And the shot, I thought something was wrong with the shell but I realized that I had put a bubble on your barrel uh, because my barrel wasn't clean. Do you remember when that happened? Yeah, I remember it. <laughs> it pretty, the, the speech was pretty short and to the point. 
<laughs> it was. You were very you were very angry. I remember that. I sent the barrel off and to have it fixed. That's that mud in the end of the barrel. Exactly. So what what I needed was one of our sponsors and good friends, Barrel Buddy. Uh, if I'd have had their product and been able to keep that clean, even in the field. And, and that's where these guys discovered it. They were out in the muddy field one day and thought, you know, we need a better way to clean our barrel. And so they came up with these polymers uh, that go into the cylinder. They make sure all the stuff is out of there, including the mud, so that you don't get that uh, bubble gun barrel uh, that I got when I was 15. So uh, be a responsible gun owner. Check out this product. We love it. BarrelBuddy.com. B-A-R-R-E-L Buddy. .com is where you go to get it. So in this sermon I heard, uh, you know, he had four points. Uh, this is Tim Keller, and I think it was titled The Good Shepherd, maybe. And, and it's because in Mark's account, it says, and I'll read it in a second, but it makes this comment when he looked at them, the crowds, they were like sheep without a shepherd. But there's also uh, another verse that's a lightning rod. In John's account, in John chapter 6, it says the crowds had come there to make him king by force. By force, yeah. So they watched all these things, and they're like, this guy. And he throws a picnic. Yeah, and he throws a picnic. (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying that you can't make religiously. I just it just doesn't seem like the right type of miracle to take over the world, you know. Yeah. Unless you're you're thinking, oh, if we get trapped, we don't have to worry about food because that was one of the weapons that that people used in conflict in the Battle of Kingdoms that they would surround a city or whatever and try to starve you out so maybe you know they're like oh he's giving us that idea if you're thinking that he's going to be a worldly power this may come in handy that's the way i've always explained it before but when i read the john 6 15 and i read that they were sheep without a shepherd and i listened to this sermon these four points were incredible because here jesus introduced a revolution that was the first point Number two was that it was an unexpected revolution because it, 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 it's like no other revolution in the history of le- revolutions because you're basically telling people, you know, this is, you don't have weapons. You, 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 th- we're going to go around and serve people and, and we're going to heal them, you know, heal their diseases and we're going to cast evil spirits out. You're like, well, when, when you'll do we- be well fed. When you do it, I'm going to feed you. Yeah, we're going to take care of people's needs. And you're like, well, when do we get to the conquering part? Where, where are the weapons? Where is the? How are we going to over overthrow the governments? Where's what are our, we do where's with, our army and our weapons? Where's the? Yeah, exactly. When when do we get put in charge? Because that's what the disciples well, kept exactly. asking. So then the third point is it was led by impossible, unqualified, inadequate inadequate revolutionaries because they don't even they don't even understand what's happening you know you would think if you're going to lead a revolution you're going to have to get your your key advisors where's the firepower on on the same page they didn't understand what's going on and in fact when the when which is the last point uh and it was conquered by an incredible revolutionary act well, look, what's ironic is when the Revolutionary Act finally happens at the end, all the inadequate revolutionaries, they all run. And Miss Kay, being the little redneck woman I'm married to and your mother, she did say, if you feed them, they will come. Yeah. Well, it's, it's going to be an afterthought for hospitality, I guess, in the kingdom. But So then you set the stage. You have 5,000 men in the middle of nowhere and what i said from john 6:15 you know they they came there to make him king by force and here you know this is right after you have this story about herod who is the king who's showing his true power by decapitating the guy who supposedly is preparing the way for this kingdom it just right. doesn't seem like Jesus' plan is working 
in, in the moment. So I want to read these accounts. So in Luke's, in Luke chapter 9, and then I'm going to read in Mark 6, 30 through 44. So in Luke's account, and it's similar to Mark's, but in verse 10 it says, When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. So he sent them out. We had this this other story with Herod being perplexed, and we read that in Mark 6. So then back to Luke 9:10. Then he took them with him. They withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. The crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them. He spoke to them. Here it is again about the kingdom of God. Verse 12, late in the afternoon, the 12 came and said, send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding village and countryside and find food and lodging because we're here in a remote place. And uh, Which, by the yeah. way, Jace, that's that's kind of a sign of your inadequate revolutionaries because yeah. here you've got an army built and you say, send them home. We can't. <laughs> We can't feed well, them. We uh, can't, you know. Keller had a funny illustration. He said, this is like they threw together a conference, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, you know, we have a pretty good speaker here, Jesus Christ himself. And uh, lunch is, because we've all done these conferences, Al. And, oh, yeah. you know, lunch is a, is a problem. So it's like, and, and usually what they'll do is they'll have this, you know, 9 o'clock we have this speaking, you know, 10 o'clock we have worship, then we have another speaker. And then you get lunch. Lunch, you're on your own. Launch your own, your own, which is what they did. <laughs> They're like, okay. <laughs> Every man for himself here. And so Jesus uses that in, in to show their inadequacy. And that that is a redemption picture that he's given here. Because he, he replied, well, you give them something to eat. Well, they answered with the inadequate, you know, point three on this. This is led by inadequate revolutionaries. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. Now, Mark's picture, uh, which we'll read in a second, it gives a better version yeah. of this. Because it's they basically insulted Jesus by saying, well, what you're proposing is Im- impossible. We, we would have to have, and they're being almost sarcastic, saying this would take yeah. half a year's wages. You're asking us to do the impossible. But just think about what this conversation so what we're, Jesus, we're, out, we're going to be out a lot of money here unless we go and buy food for all the crowd. Yeah, but what Jesus is actually proposing in this moment is so powerful because that's why I read about the guy who doubted, and Jesus is like, all things are possible with me. You, you mm-hmm. keep doubting the impossible, and you have the Son of God, the King of kings. I can do the impossible. And that's why Jesus is going through this in this capacity, because it takes human beings a bit to wrap your head around what you're involved in. The impossible actually happens. And so watch where it goes from here. They answered, so we only have this. And Jesus says, well, have them in verse 14. He said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of of about 50 and Mark's account says 50 or, you know, or 100. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down, taking five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven. And now here's the key phrase, I think, for the redemption aspect of this. He blessed it, and he broke the bread. He gave thanks and broke the bread. <clears throat> then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. The disciples picked up the broken pieces that were left over. See, so you flip over to Mark 6 and read the account here. So that's in verse 30. So the apostles gathered around Jesus, report to him all they had done and taught. Then because the many people were coming, and remember the John 6, they were coming to make him king because they're fired up. He said, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves uh, in a boat to a solitary place. But many saw them leaving, recognized them, and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And, you know, when I went to Israel, you could really see how this could happen. There's really no way to hide. You can see all the way across. You can see for miles so that's why that seems like, well, how how were they seeing him? But they, they could see that. Also, Jace, the disciples now, 
because he sent them out on this little sortie. Now they're known as well. So everybody's like running after them because now we went from just one known to 13 known. So you see the expansion of the movement. And I love this next verse, which is why I wanted to read Mark's account in verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw such a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And I want to stop that there because a point uh, Keller made, which I had never noticed before, is there's the revolutionary aspect. He went to Numbers 27, and I'll just give you a thumbnail of it, because when Moses was called to lead the Israelites out of bondage, you know, at, at God's request, well, uh, it, this was a this was a political move. This was a revolutionary move, and he used the same phrase here in this political move, and you can read it on your own and get the whole context. Where are it, your numbers? Numbers 27, verse 15. Hang on, Jace, before you read that, let's take another break. So, Jace, when you think about uh, organs, most people think, Heart, right? I mean, that's probably the everybody says, you know, your heart's your most important organ. Would that be a fair statement? They'll point to their pump and say, I feed it right here. They're pointing to the wrong thing. There is a biblical heart, right? <laughs> There's a biblical heart, yeah. So I tell you what, nobody hardly talks about. Nobody talks about romancing the liver, right? You don't hear much about the liver. Uh, Jace has a verse in Psalms about the liver. You don't want to pierce your liver. We found it from the Bible. That's bad. That's a bad thing. But, but not only is it a biblical concept that's bad, it's also bad for you to have what is called a fatty liver. Uh, the American Heart Association says if you have that, you're three and a half times more likely to have heart failure. And there's about a third of Americans that struggle with this. And it's easy to understand why you got cholesterol. Alcohol has a bad effect on the liver. Toxins, Tylenol, people take medicine like crazy, cigarettes. All these things make uh, for a sluggish, fatty liver. Uh, I, my liver enzymes were up the last time I checked. So we have a product that uh, is sponsoring the podcast called Liver Health Formula. Uh, and I began taking this product. I took it for, I think, uh, two months before I retook my numbers. And my numbers are back uh, perfectly in line. So this product works. Uh, I can tell you that from personal experience. Uh, when you get it, uh, you also, they're going to give you a free bottle of blood sugar formula, which I took as well, that helps reduce your sugar cravings and helps you to lose some weight. So try liver health formula uh, by going to getliverhelp.com slash unashamed, and you're going to get that free gift of the blood sugar formula. That's getliverhelp.com slash unashamed. Numbers twenty seven fifteen. Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over his community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. And so, you know, when you later on, and because I'm saying we're trying to get this pent picture of redemption that there was a shadow of this that goes all the way back to the Israelites being freed and liberated and when you get to things like Hebrews 2 and, and 3 that talks about Jesus the reason he's superior to Moses because in this and I'll go ahead and before I read it and cut to the end in this by Jesus taking this bread he's given them a picture that when you realize that Jesus is the bread of life. When he became broken and people participated in that, well, what was going to happen? He was going to liberate us from our the bondage of our own sins. And it was a better liberation. It's a better kingdom. It's a better dwelling for humanity, which is where we're going in that. But I wanted to point that out. So back well, to I want to mention one thing just before you read that. There's an instance in Second Kings chapter 4, verse 42, that may have been in the minds of some of these people as well, where Elisha, the prophet, fed a whole army with 20 loaves and some heads of grain. So, again, there's some things that have happened in Israel's past that are probably 
being all a part of this as it's unfolding, some people are thinking, okay, here we go, as this is happening, you know, that this may be connected somehow to this idea of Jesus being a prophet and was going to lead them out. Exactly. I had the same verse written down, so we were tracking on that. And I think they would have been familiar with that. And now the kingdom that was predicted, Jesus is now saying this is happening. Right. So in verse 35 of Mark 6, it says, By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him, this remote place, and it's already very late. So then you have this same conversation about the inadequacies. He says, Send the people away. So they go to the surrounding countryside and buy villages. Uh, yeah, buy some food in the villages. So then verse 37, he's like, well, you give them something to eat. Well, here's the impossible. It would take eight months of man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give them to eat? That wasn't a question for Jesus to answer. What were they saying? This is not possible. Can be done. Yeah, that's right. So I wanted to get that in. And then he's like, how many loaves do you have? And, And so then it happens. So if you reset right here, from a worldly kingdom, if you see this, you would think, okay, there's 5,000 men. That's the makings of an army. And Jesus gets up, and he does two things. Well, you would think he's going to give them training and give them weapons. If you were going to be leading a revolution, but what does he do? He gives them the word of God, and he gives them some bread. So... It it already it started. This is whatever you thought this was going to be. It's definitely not that. Where's the weapons? Where are the training? And I know that's what Jesus was doing because you got to remember the whole motivation for them coming out there was to make him king by force. And they thought, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> you know, where's the weapons? Where's the training? So he gives them teaching and he gives them bread instead of kill them all. It's save them all, different concept. <laughs> and you know what's interesting, Jace, is in the Luke and Mark account, they, it doesn't say it here, but in John's account, he says they actually got the five loaves and the two fish from some kid who was there. And that's why I thought Jesus, they didn't even have anything except one kid had a Happy Meal that he had brought along for his provisions <laughs> And Jesus took the Happy Meal and fed about anywhere from ten to 12,000 people because once you throw in the women and kids, that's what you got here. Exactly. But this would become the makings of the gospel. I mean, the whole John's account with this, Jesus, I am the bread of life and the idea about being broken. Yep. And when you remember when, I think I wrote it down somewhere, uh, you know, when Jesus at the Last Supper, he did the same thing that he did here. He blessed it, and he said, this is my body to be broken. He, he gave thanks, and, and he was setting that precedent. Well, you see our early on here, this which was an incredible miracle. I mean, it doesn't look like something that's that impressive, and most people probably didn't notice. They just assumed, man, I don't know where they're getting this bread. I mean, you're just not thinking. They just thought somebody took care of it. But he's given them a greater principle because when you think about a loaf of bread, you can't eat it unless it's broken. You take a big loaf, and y'all have seen you know, homemade bread You take a, that has the hard outside. Well, the only way you're getting that down the hatch is it's got to be broken. Yeah, I, had a, I had a loaf last week that was about that big around. It was hard on top. It took a very sharp knife for me to piece it. It seems such a simple thing. But yeah. when, when when you really think about what he was showing them and showing the aspects of the to the his disciples who have doubts, obviously, they think this whole thing is ridiculous, and then they're seeing the miracle, and as spectacular as it was, you would think they would be jumping up and down. It's just like they didn't grasp it because it just doesn't have the point. That we're all gathered here. When, where are the weapons? Yeah. Where's the grub? It, it, it just doesn't seem to fit any narrative. And, to, and just to pause and say for someone who doesn't believe in God, to think that you're going to invent this out of thin air, this type of story and this 
type of concept. Why, it, would, why would it be mentioned in all four Gospels? And it's what a concept. It, it, it just defies all logic that this is going to be the way to save humanity in something like this. You make an interesting point. Let's take another break. You make an interesting point, Jace, because the the miracle itself, and I think to your point, Dad, is why it's mentioned in all four, and John really goes into it, as Jace has already alluded to, about him being the bread of life, is the miracle's purpose was to feed these people. It wasn't to mesmerize everybody. I mean, he could have put on quite the show. It could have fallen out of heaven like manna did right into their laps. It could have been, you know, whatever. There could have been a big, grandiose way, but what he did was he took those loaves and he took that fish and he sat down in one spot. And just like all the other food miracles of the Old Testament with the widow's oil and all that, he just kept breaking bread and kept passing it out until everybody had plenty to eat. And the 12 basketfuls that were picked up later weren't picked up from the people. These people didn't just leave food laying around. And like our kids today where there's leftovers, that was all right there where he was tearing that bread apart and, and passing those fish out. So it was just a sustenance miracle. He was, he was tearing that bread and he was passing and he was passing. Jason's right. The people are way down below him. They're getting the food. They have no idea where it's coming from. No. And yet it's coming from him. Because he's sitting there and he's making it as he's tearing it up. And so it is a fascinating thing when you imagine it. Quite the flow was coming out of that one area and it just kept coming. Of where he was. And it kept coming and the food kept piling up at his feet is is what they picked up later. I'm convinced that's for a lot of people. I haven't cooked for a lot of people through the years. This, this, this would have been a very handy thing at the moment if there was 12,000 out there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and that's what it was. That's and in the food. yeah, it wasn't a rah rah speech, and it, and it was sad in that Jesus is showing a principle that's different to the world. Because you think what a, what a, what is power? What does worldly power look like? They break people. It's all about crushing your adversaries and enemies. And and on the way to the top of the mountain or the top of the corporate ladder or. Even in the family situation, when things go wrong, it's all about crushing the other person. This is worldly power. You you won. You've done this. This is this uh, this applies completely. Turns that upside down. Exactly. He was giving you the image. The redemptive meaning of the miracle is: I'm going to be broken into a lot of pieces for you. That 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 was when you read what he said, and I mentioned it a while ago, but I, I want to read it because I just think it's powerful. Uh, it's in Mark fourteen twenty two. So you fast forward to the end. I mean, you had that miracle in all four accounts. You get to Mark fourteen twenty two, and you tell me that wasn't a shadow for this moment. It says while they were eating. This is right before, you know, Peter denies him, the arrest. I mean, we're at the moment here. But it's, So in 1422, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. it. It's the same phrase in each gospel moment of this miracle of feeding the 5,000 and having the disciples who are inadequate, which goes right along with when he sent them out, they got all worked up about that they had this power to do miracles and healing, but they were missing the big picture that we're going to be broken and we're going to serve. Because you think about what he was asking them to do take also. It, take, he wasn't asking them to yeah. give, give army training. and you're, you're going. He was asking them to serve. Yeah, he said, take it. You know, it's my body. He, yeah, he gave thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew. Look, in the kingdom of God. Yep. Because that is gonna be, this is going to become the life source of all the members of the kingdom. Jesus' broken body, 
his blood that was poured out. We are then, in turn, going to serve others. We're going to lose power to show who you are to other people. Yes, we're going to be persecuted. Yes, we're going to be trampled. But it, it was God's scheme of redemption, the path to victory through brokenness, through giving out power, through having doubts, but trusting God along the way. And that's what that's really the difference in being a follower of Jesus and then just being religious. You know, if you're just religious and you think that somehow you can become good enough to get God's, you know, assurance that, oh, you've pleased me on how good you are, you're looking at it wrong. That produces self-righteousness. Yep. And so in the world, the world's way just produces selfish ambition, and you see it every day. I mean, they're just like, you just, whoever's in your way, run over them yeah. on your way. So you, I'm certainly gonna, not going to take time to feed them. So that's why <laughs> this is different, and that's why they, the religious leaders struggle with this, because it's hard to be that vulnerable. It's hard to say, well, God just loves me just because he loves me. And there's no because. And he proved it by what he did on the cross and the resurrection, and he was broken. So that should motivate me now to be vulnerable and to be to admit my failures and my weaknesses. And so then that's how we have the humble spirit to give our lives to other people because that's what Jesus, he showed us how to do it. And then the fact that throw in, he's going to give us his Holy Spirit to allow that to happen. So you're basically becoming him 2,000 years later in the way you function. It's a wild story. It's a different kind of power. It's a different kind of lifestyle. It's hard to understand. It doesn't look right from the world's view because we're the ones that look like the weak and the crushed and nothing to offer and the crazy craziness, which now it all makes sense when you go back to how he outlined in Luke 6 about being poor and being hungry and uh, what was the other thing? Uh, being insulted and yeah, you were thirsty and you were being persecuted. Uh, you're weeping. You're like, well, where where's the fun in that? Where's the victory in, in all that? But you realize that God's plan is about being poured out for other people to have these doubts that come up, and then you seek, you search, you hunger, you thirst. I, I wrote down in that in that light, uh, there was an atheist who made this quote. I can't pronounce his name, so I, I tried to write it down, but I just don't even know how to pronounce it. But the quote, I don't feel bad about giving an atheist credit for anything, really, but it said, he had this famous quote that says, that God does not exist, I cannot deny he was an atheist. But then he says, but that my whole soul and being cries out for God, I cannot forget. And it's this idea of hungering for a God that we all have. I mean, you look around on the planet, even if you deny God, there's still a place in your heart that realizes we need a God. And so the problem, that reason why people can't see it, because it came in this manner. And it's yeah. just not what religion teaches. It's not what the world teaches. What Christ teaches is My just purpose. unlike any yeah. other thing yeah. in the history of mankind. Let's take our last break. There's also an interesting leadership principle that's here, if you think about it. Remember this whole episode started, Jace, when they retreat. They went on this exciting mission trip. They come back, they're fired up. Jesus has a little retreat setting and they're getting to tell their experiences, but the crowd has followed them. And so Jesus breaks up the retreat to now do an advance, which there's a great leadership principle in that, by the way. You don't want to be retreating all the time. You want to be advancing the kingdom. So he goes out and he gets into this situation and he's showing not only the that he can feed the people, but he's showing the disciples about this power, as you mentioned, and here's what's interesting. It took me back to when, and remember in John 21, when Jesus told Peter after he was restored three times, what did he tell him? Feed my sheep. 
And of course, he didn't mean food. He was talking about feed my sheep spiritually. This is going to be your role from now on. But you know, that had to go back to the same principle of who he is. And, you know, when they picked up those, when they picked up that leftover food, I don't think it was any accident that there were 12 basketfuls. And, we, and when you say basket, I, I researched that word. It was basically a little, what we would call a, a lunch bucket or a little travel bag that would hold about two or three days worth of food is what the baskets were. What, is it any accident that there were 12 baskets picked up and there were 12 disciples? And so out of this miracle to feed the sheep there that day, the 12,000 plus, however many it was, there was just enough left over for the 12 disciples to have with them for the next two or three days. And I think the leadership principle is if you feed my sheep, you will be fed. And so the idea is sometimes we as leaders want to back up and shrink back, but you always have to feed the sheep. And out of that feeding, you then will get fed. It's a great principle of leadership and it's kind of subtle in the text but again i don't think jesus does anything on accident what accident that there were 12 basketfuls picked up afterwards and there's 12 disciples that yeah. still had to continue i don't the know mission. where the verse is but where's the verse that reminds me of what you're saying it's my perfect jesus talking it's it's made perfect through through weakness yeah, yeah. i think that's through second. weakness. second corinthians 12 yeah yeah my power is made perfect through weakness that, that, that's the point that people. Second Corinthians twelve nine. Yeah, that's the point that people uh, have a problem wrapping their head around. But for us to do that, look, you're going to have to be unselfish. You're going to have to be humble. You're going to have to be vulnerable. You're going to have to lose your power. And so that's what Jesus was offering, which all those things He did for us. But then it produces people who are givers and not takers. You know, they're forgivers, not trying to avenge. Yep. It, you, you see the contrast of the kingdoms. I think we should read that in 2 Corinthians. That's, that's a good point. Yeah, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, because uh, Paul was struggling, you know, the, you had this messenger of Satan that was tormenting him. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness because he wouldn't remove the hardship. And... That is what people have the hardest time getting over. But, he, you know, he goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 13, in verse, uh, like the second part of verse 2, when it says, On my return I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others, because they had a lot of sin in the church, and he was confronting them about it. And And just, I think this makes perfect sense with where we're at in Luke because he was sending them out. He was giving them this opportunity to trust him because he was like, don't take anything with you, just trust me. You go out there and, yep. and introduce the kingdom. And they were running into persecution and different, or how are we going to provide for ourselves and all this. And these people are probably saying, well, who do you think you are? And all the problems. He was talking about shaking the dust off your feet when people have, Pose you so you fast forward post death burial. He said, "I delight in weaknesses." Yeah, that's where I was going. So, verse three it says, "Since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me, He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, He was crucified in weakness." I mean, this is the gospel. This is the being broken, the bread being broken that He was given an image of. Yet He He lives in by God's power. Likewise, I mean, this is the message. This goes all the way back to that miracle of the bread being broken. We are weak in him. You know, we get hungry, we struggle, we make mistakes. And yet by God's power, we will live with him to do what? To serve you, which is the, it, this is how this comes out in, in, the, in the end. I mean, we're liberators, but we, we do it through our weakness, our powerless, our service moments operating as the body of Christ. You wouldn't think it would work like you that. Wouldn't, you wouldn't think it would work. Boy, it would take God to come up with that one. It would, and it's very hard to live out. Oh. Because the temptations of the world is all about what? Me first. Yep. <clears throat> you never, unless you can bring something to me that will help me. And... The root of all evil, you know, James said, is selfish ambition. 
and envy. So it's the exact opposite. And you really see that in Herod, the way he functioned with his wife and all the manipulation. It really gave, gave you two pictures of the two different kingdoms in this one little paragraph. Because yep. you're like, what does the feeding the 5,000 have to do with King Herod and, and Jesus sending out the apostles? But it actually has everything to do because they're introducing the kingdom, what it's like. It's just hard to get your head around what Jesus is introducing because it's so far away from any other yeah. powerful kingdom that you could conceive. No, and, and you're right, Jace. The implication is there the whole time that people are looking at this and they were seeing the physical implications of it more than Jesus was even meaning because that's why they wanted to make him king by force is because they thought, well, we can be provisioned and taken care of. And that's why he was a threat to the powers that be because they thought, well, if this guy, you know, if he can raise his own army later on in John six, which I want to talk about more in the overtime because we're almost out of time. He, he, they say from now on, give us this bread. In other words, yeah. they're like, Hey, you started something here. We, we want this to be a manna situation. We want to be fed every day. Yeah. And that's when Jesus turns it back into a spiritual discussion. But just think about it. Just think about really this practically in any kind of war, you know, they try to take your communication and your money and your, you know, your food. And so let's say they do that to us as followers of Jesus who have the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? Take it. it, it all right. They're like, yeah, but I mean, well, we'll just take your life then. Okay. Well, we I got that covered too. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you just think yeah. about the what, what he's really saying. You're not going to be manipulated because they take your money or your, you know, whatever your business or your building, whatever your, your car, rank was, your rank, rank. You know, whatever material thing you had that. Okay. I mean, cause Jesus said, don't worry about that stuff. I'll provide that. That's the image he's trying to get you to see. Don't be manipulated. And you think, well, all the disciples got it, but Judas never did. He could never say, you know what? I'm not going to be led around by this material stuff. So the other kingdom came in there, the worldly kingdom. How about 30 pieces of silver? Well, you know, think about it. Is 30 pieces of silver worth losing your soul and in, in eternity and the relationships that you form along the way? Tough. That just seems crazy. But people crazy. do it every day. Yep. No doubt about it. All right, we're out of time. Uh, we want to talk a little bit more about this uh, amazing miracle and its implications in our overtime. So if you want to follow us, it's blazetv.com slash unashamed. It's where we do our bonus material. We'll see you there. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube. And be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.